I very rarely give a disclaimer before I preach, but I'm going to give one today. I am under no delusions that there are preachers that are 10,000 times better at preaching than I am. I'm talking about get up here, shuck the corn, spit, holler, they're charismatic, they draw you in, and there's tons of them out there. I know that there are 10,000 preachers out there that are better teachers than I am, smarter than I am, that can go a whole lot deeper in the Bible than I can But I think one of the things that I'm pretty decent at is I I think I'm pretty decent at taking the Bible, dumbing it down, not that you need me to dumb it down, but I need it dumbed down. And I've always said I like to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, that way everybody can get some. I, I, I think when it comes to practicality, when you leave here saying, here's what he taught, and here's what I have to do, or here's what I need to do, or here's what the Bible says to do, in my day-to-day life, I think I'm pretty up there in that area. That being said, today I don't know if the message will make any sense. I'm serious. I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, as I was looking over my notes today, it was not making sense to me. I struggled with this topic. I got to be honest, in all my years of pastoring and all my years of being in ministry, I'm 46 years old now, I got in ministry when I was about 21 years old, I've never heard a preacher teach on this subject. I've never taught on this subject. Dare I say the wording of this subject borderlines on unbiblical. As I was writing down things and knew what we were going to be talking about, the grudge, it was one of those things that I just kind of wrote down the topic because I thought it sounded good and never thought about the ramifications of the wording of that. But I'm going to try to break it down to you. I'm going to try to explain it to you because I feel that it is a topic that all of us deal with, though we might not totally deal with it by the exact wording that I'm going to use. We're going to hang out in 1 Samuel today, and I've been praying about this message because I do. I I think it's a message that impacts so many of us. I think it's one of those subjects that at one time or another, We've all been there before. I've got a question for you. How many of you love, for lack of a better word, a good miracle story? A good miracle story. And I love a good miracle story. You just love when God shows up, love when God shows out. And I love those kind of stories. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe someone stood up and they shared a testimony and they. They got up and said, man, for the first time ever, I tithed on a Sunday. Uh, Tuesday, I went into work, and my boss gave me a 20% raise. You're like, man, that's a God story. But part of you sitting back and you're thinking, man, I've been tithing for years, and I can barely pay my bills, and money's tight. And while there's a part of you that's excited for the other person, There's a part of you kind of questioning God. Why hasn't that happened with you? You've got a friend maybe, and they've been praying for miraculous healing. And out of nowhere, they call you and let you know that God has healed their parakeet. And you're so excited for them. But you get a little twinge in your chest because you've been praying for someone you love who's going through a medical condition for years. You've been 
calling out to God to heal them. And for whatever reason, at this time, God has not chosen to do that. You know a girl, and she broke up with her boyfriend. He wasn't such a good guy. She took that risk. She stepped out in faith. She said, no more. And three days later, God brings a guy into her life who looks just like Brad Pitt. (laughs) He's memorized two-thirds of the New Testament. Three weeks later, he proposes to her, and they went an all-expenses-paid honeymoon trip. And just as the icing on the cake, they've known each other for five weeks, but they're both memorizing word for word. 1 Corinthians 13 to declare their wedding to each other. And yet back in 2015, you left your not-so-great boyfriend. The only date you've had since then was with Ben and Jerry. And just a little bit of you thinking, man, I'm happy for them. (laughs) But what about me? I've been faithful. I've been committed. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And yet God has not responded in the way that I think he ought to. So the question becomes, what do you do when you find yourself, and this is, this is a hard thing to actually verbalize, it makes me uncomfortable. But what do you do when you find yourself disappointed in God? I would never. Yeah, you would. You just never verbalize it. I get it. I'm, I'm worried that he's going to strike me down right now. You know, I get it. What do you do when you feel like God has let you down? I don't know what it could be. You've always wanted a baby. You've married the love of your life, and you guys have been faithful, and you've been married for years, and you have a great marriage, and for whatever reason, God's never blessed you with a baby. Yet your cousin's a crackhead, been in and out of jail, can't take care of the four kids she has from four different daddies, but now she's pregnant again from the fifth daddy. And you look at God, and you ask God to explain that to you. It might have been the engagement you believed was coming, and to this day that engagement's still not here. Whatever miracle it is that you believed by faith, you knew God was going to step up and step out and perform a miracle in your life. And for whatever reason, though you know he has the power to do it, God still hasn't done it. You've prayed for years for your marriage. You've prayed for years for your spouse. And there's been no change. And what do you do, again, when you don't even want to say it out loud because of your reverence for God, but you're simply wondering, hey, God, where are you? What do you do when you begin to form a grudge against the creator of the universe? It's more common than you think. I am Gary Lamb, the pastor of Action Church, and I have been there. 
done that. Got the t-shirt and multiple scars to prove it. Why aren't you showing up for me? Where's the miracle I've been believing? Maybe you get to a stage where you find yourself disappointed in God. Maybe you find a stage where you're angry at God. I have had many a night throwing down with God. It didn't go well. But there's been many, many a night where I was angry at God for things that were happening in my life. I went through a period in my life where, dare I say, I was holding a grudge against God. It's not that you don't want to trust him. You really, really do. You understand he's God. But God did something for someone else. And your perception, and perception is reality even if it's not true. Your perception is he's not doing something for you. What do you do when you're holding a grudge against God? What do you do, and here's the part that is a little unbiblical in the phrasing, but bear with me. What do you do when you feel like you need to forgive God? Problem is, God doesn't ever need forgiving because he's perfect. But we find ourselves in situations where though God has not wronged us, we feel he has wronged us, and we have questions and things we don't understand, and our life is taking a course that we never expected to do, and we find ourselves, for lack of a better word, because I can't think of a better way to word it, what do we do when we need to forgive God? Slightly an unfair wording, because again, God's perfect. But we're holding that grudge. You didn't feel like God could do what he could have done. And by faith, you're trying to move on, but man, you're angry at God. First Samuel chapter 1, I want to look at a really, really powerful story about a woman. Never taught on this story in my life. That perhaps, I believe, had to come to a stage in her life where she had to reconcile some of her disappointments that she felt towards God. Let me tell you about her husband first. Elkina, Elkaniah, we're going to call him Elk, because I don't know how you pronounce his name. I logged into four audio Bibles to hear how they pronounce his name, and all four of them pronounce it different. So, oh, easy E over here. Didn't have one wife. <laughs> This dummy had two wives. One wife, we're going to talk about her name, was Hannah. The other wife, her name was Panana, Paniah. Again, they said it different. I, don't, I find it hard to believe it was Panana and Hannah. That rhymes, that'd be cool. We're going to call her P. Now, those dudes are out there thinking, man, that'd be awesome to have two wives. No. Matter of fact, I, I dare say that anybody that's sitting out there thinking it'd be cool to have two wives, you're not married. <laughs> Just being honest with you. 
This is not The Bachelor. You don't get to go make out with wife number one and then go make out with wife number two. That ain't how it works. Trust me. Don't trust me because I know. (laughs) Trust me because I got not a lot, but a little common sense. Two wives would be great. No, no, no. Like, I love my wife. But two of them. This man had two wives. And as we break down the story, you're going to find out that these wives had a serious rivalry going on. Imagine that. Let's talk about old Easy E. In those days when they named you, your name meant something. It had meaning behind it. So when people called you by your name, they were actually calling you or acknowledging what you are. Like, for example, the name Gary. It means powerful, mighty warrior. Not really. Doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> but oh, easy ease name in the Hebrew, it means that God has created a son. Or God will give you a son. So every time someone said his name... They were basically acknowledging the promise of God that God would give him a son to carry on his legacy, to carry on his name. Hey, oh, easy, easy. They said, hey, what's his name? Hey, you've got a son coming. And he marries Hannah. And he just assumed that Hannah would give him this son that was promised to him through his birthright of his name. But as you read the story, Hannah's unable to have a child. Many theologians believe that's why he took on a second wife. Let me make that very clear. I'm not justifying the second wife. First wife can't cook. You don't get to go marry one that can't cook. Just eat out every night. So he marries the second wife. And she begins to spit out kids like they're rabbits. And you can imagine Hannah's Internal battle. The internal dialogue that was going on. She couldn't have a child. And in this culture, that was very significant. It was looked at as a curse that a woman couldn't bear a child. Much less bear a son. Couldn't bear a child at all. So it had been real easy for Hannah to sit back and say, Man, God, you brought this man to my life. I'm wife number one. Yet I couldn't give this man what he needed or what he wanted or what was promised to him through his birthright. So he's now brought another woman in. Can you imagine the disappointment in Hannah? God, I married the man I was supposed to. God, I have been faithful in worship because if you study Hannah, man, she was a woman who loved God. By human nature, it would be real easy for her to begin to doubt God. Question God. Dare I say get angry with God. I have about the most secure wife in the world. When I tell you she rarely gets jealous. She rarely gets jealous. Let me bring another woman up in the house. Because she can't give me a child. 
and let that woman start giving me children. There's no doubt it's going to affect her. There's no doubt she's going to begin to question things. So every year, Oezy and his two wives would take a vacation. It was a trip. And they would go to a place called Shiloh, and they would begin to worship God. They did it every year. And every year, this turned into a painful place for Hannah. Theologians believe it was on this trip that her and an OP over here was the only time they were really together. Easy e was probably smart enough to keep them separate on the land. He wasn't smart enough not to marry two of them, but he was smart enough where he found out real quick, let me keep them separated. But when they're traveling, they're together. And the problem with OP was, is she was just a jerk. She was probably insecure because she was wife number two. She knew she wasn't the first love. Hannah was. So what she would do is she would begin to mock Hannah that she couldn't have children. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel number 1. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival. Oh, by the way, ain't it cute that we call them sister wives? The Bible called them a rival. You get two women fighting for one man's affection. They ain't sister wives. Human nature takes over and they become rivals. Because the Lord, that's, that's a little free sermon. A little free advice. I'm going to give you guys some more free advice too because, man, oh, easy, he's dumb. Wait till you see what he says here in a minute. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Hear me out. Hannah hasn't dealt with this for three months. She hasn't dealt with this hurt for six months. She has dealt with this hurt for year after year after year. And now old Easy E's got them loaded up on the donkey, and they're traveling across the country to Shiloh to worship God. And the entire way there, she's listening to this other woman mock her and irritate her and get her fired up because she was able to give her husband something she couldn't give him. Think she had a little resentment in her? Think she had a little bitterness in her? Yeah, you would too. You think she began to question God? Of course she did. Not because she wasn't strong in her faith. She began to question God because she was human. Why, God? Why did you give him this name that said he will have a child? Why did you bring me into his life and then not allow me to be able to deliver the promise that you had on his life. I have served you. I have been a good wife. I have, I have honored my husband. I have honored you, God. I get up, and year after year I go, and I travel to Shiloh, and I worship, and I travel, and I listen to this other woman mock me because I can't do what this culture thinks I ought to do. Why? And disappointment began to set in. No P begin to taunt her and make fun of her. And this, this is an incredibly painful verse to me. It went on year after year. Whenever, every time, 
Hannah went to the house of the Lord. Every time, don't miss this, every time she went to worship God, her rival provoked her till she wept. She would not eat. Some of you have been there year after year with your hurt. You've been there year after year with the pain. I don't know what it is. Maybe you raised your children. You were a good dad. You were a good mom. And now your children are growing. And for whatever reason, they don't want anything to do with you. And you're asking why. Maybe you worked faithfully for somebody at a job year after year after year. You showed up and you dealt with them and you did what you were asked to do and you excelled at your job. And the new guy that's been there for two months suddenly gets the promotion. Maybe you have been faithful to church and faithful to serving and faithful to this. All of a sudden your spouse is diagnosed with a terminal disease and you don't understand it. And you're questioning God in year after year after year the pain's there. The pain is a reminder that you think God has let you down. First, I want to say it's okay. Don't allow the guilt to eat you up for your feelings. We serve a big God. Wait till you see, oh, this is so good. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but it's so good. Each time... Hannah would be reduced to tears. She would not each ever been there. You've been in such turmoil in your life that you sit down, it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, but there's so much chaos in it and you can't even eat. You don't understand what you... Now, there's times you're in weird situations and you can look back and you're like, I understand why I'm here. Had a buddy of mine recently, got his fourth DUI. I don't understand why I don't have my license. I said, well, I do. Get four DUIs, you idiot. So there's sometimes there are situations in your own doing. But there's sometimes there are situations, and you look around and you say, man, I don't deserve this. And you're probably right. We've talked about that a lot around here. Life's not fair. Life's not fair. It's not fair that you can't have a child but that junkie can stay strung out and the courts can take their kids away from them five times, six times, seven times, eight times and the system will never protect the child and they always get them back. It's not fair. I don't have the answer on the why. And you get mad with God and of course we get mad with God. Why? Because we believe ultimately God is in control and God is in control. But we have a misconception of God. We think God's a puppet master dictating all the strings of us. We get angry with God and year after year she would go. And here's Hannah, man. She's sweet. She's the godly girl. She's, she's the one you want to bring home to mom. There's OP over here and that's the one your mama warned you about. She was good for one thing, and one thing only. And she knows it, and that's why she taunts Hannah over and over and over. And Hannah had to be asking, why in the world would God bless Paniah with kids and not bless me? She had to ask that question. 
Just picture the dialogue. Just picture Hannah with God. Because, man, let me ask you a question. Because I don't want to feel like I'm all alone. How many of you ever thrown down with God? Anybody? Am I the only one? Oh, man, I've... I can just picture, God, I've been faithful. God, I saved myself for marriage. God, I've been a good wife to him. God, I get up every day and I spend time in the scripture. God, I come early to church. God, I listen and I serve when they have a need. God, you know I'm a giver and I love you and I haven't done anything compared to what she's done. God, she, she's conniving. God, her spirit's evil. She tries to provoke me for no reason other than to provoke me. I've been faithful, God. She had to scream out, God, where are you in my life? She had to. It's human nature. The Bible says she just continued to pray. And as you read the next couple of verses, and we're not going to get into all of them, she just began to pray. And she continued to go to God. And she fought with God. And she argued with God. And she pleaded with God. <laughs> year after gut-wrenching year, she went to Shiloh and she went to worship. And every time she would begin to worship, her rival provoked her. You ever get in that stage in life where it seems like you're trying to get your life right? You're trying to get in tune with God. And when you're trying to get in tune with God, the enemy comes out and your rival begins to attack you. I'll be out there worshiping. And the worst memories pop up. The worst thoughts flash through my mind. The devil's trying to get me distracted. We, we, we felt like Hannah. We've all been there. Here she is. She's married to old Ian. And by all accounts, it seemed like he's a good dude. Let's just be honest. He, he doesn't seem like a bad dude. The problem is a good dude is still a dude. Still a dude. Ladies, you need to understand something. You can't cast the dude out of a man. Dudes just do dudish things. We're idiots. We just do. It's just, just hardwired in us. We're all bent towards sin. And our sin nature comes along and it takes over, and men are just dumb. Guys, I'm not beating you up on Father's Day. I am I'm we're dumb. Say amen, gentlemen. And, and and the problem is in these situations, instead of making it better, we make it worse. Say amen. And most of the time, it's because we say something stupid. Men, let me help you this far. It has nothing to do with the message. As a man who was 46 years old, took him a couple of times to figure out the marriage thing. A man who could write a book on how not to be a good husband. Let me help you. There's just some things you don't say. There's just some things you don't ask. There's some things you don't acknowledge. That they seem natural, they seem right. But, my, but God brought me here today to deliver a message to you men. Never under any circumstances, men, walk in at the end of your day 
You've worked all day. You've come home. I don't give a crap if it looks like a bomb went off in the house. Don't ever look at your wife and say, hey, what would you do today? Don't ever. Don't ever do that. Don't ever. I'm talking about in the name of the Father, the Son. Do not do it. Ladies, say amen. Men, don't ever say this to your wife. Do you mean to do that to your hair? Never. Never, ever, ever say that. Man, I'm in your corner. I got your back. Man, don't ever. Listen, I'm just going to utter this one and it's going to get tense. Don't ever say this, man. No matter how crazy they're acting. You PMSing this week? Man, be smart. Be smart. It's how much I love you men that I'm willing to bring this word straight from the Holy Spirit to you. But oh, easy, he was a dude. Hannah's crying. Man, and I'm horrible at this, so let me preface. Sometimes you just got to let them cry. You can't fix it. Because when you try to fix it, you're an idiot. I don't want to call you an idiot. You're a dude. And you make it worse. Oh, easy, he's about to make it worse. Hannah's crying. She's not eating. OP's provoked her. She's angry at God. Look at old Easy E, man. Why are you crying, Hannah? Don't acknowledge the crying. Sit down next to them. If they make the gesture to lay your, their head on your shoulder, pat the head. Don't ask them why they're crying. Why aren't you eating? You don't want the answer. Look how he just minimizes it. Why be downhearted just because you have no children? My name means God's going to give me a son. I married you. You can't even give me a girl, much less a son. But why are you downhearted? Hey, I went and found another woman. She's giving me children, and she mocks you and makes your life. Why are you down? And then look what this idiot does. You have me. <laughs> Easy E, what are you doing? Isn't that better than ten sons? Why are you worried about it? You have me. God, that sounds like something out of the Gary Lamb playbook right there. Like that is so, like literally I thought that this was a story about me. Why are you worried about it? You got me. God, dudes. Quit being dudes. I got to read the whole thing again. Like it's just, on one hand it leaves you speechless. On the other hand, every woman's been like, yeah, I've lived that. And on the other hand, if we had three hands, every man's like, oh, I've done that. Why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? Why be like, minim- oh man, we're so bad about this. We minimize their pain. We minimize their emotion. Thinking that we're going to, I'm just trying to... Bring common sense, it's not a big deal. 
Why do you doubt hearted? Because you have no children. And then he offers a solution. Don't ever offer a solution. The solution is never right. By the way, this is just a little sermon in the middle of the sermon. You have me. Oh, dudes. Hannah wants to have a child. And her husband wants to know why she's upset. And he asks her, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? You have me. And here's what's crazy, ladies. I know you don't comprehend this. This made sense to him. When we say stupid things, it makes sense to us. Because we're dudes. (laughs) We're not trying to upset you. We're just dudes being dudes and we say stupid stuff thinking it makes it better. And Hannah's response is not recorded in the scripture. (laughs) But the God of the universe revealed it to me this week. I believe she looked at him, cocked her. I said, do you want to replace that question? And I believe he was stupid and doubled down. No, I said it right. No, you didn't say it right. And I believe she began to unload him. Do you want to reword the question? Because trust me, and the hand started going. And we're dudes, and we're sitting there like, like, what did we do? You're crying. I tried to make it better. The hand's going. Trust me. And when they tell you this, man, trust me, you don't want that answer. And then we're dudes. We're saying, yeah, what is it? (laughs) At least that's what Christine says to me whenever situations like this happen. (laughs) You can feel her pain. She's doing everything possible she can to trust God. And yet the only thing that she wants is the thing that only God can give And yet it seems to be God's withholding it from her. And then she's got OP running around with her little rugrats, her little drunk squirrels. She's traveling on a trip with them, and they're grabbing onto her. You know, because she's a classy lady, she's probably trying to keep those kids in order too. Because OP ain't changing their diaper. She's a hussy. Hannah's probably doing the right thing. Drunk squirrels running around, peas over there criticizing her and belittling her, making fun of her. Oh, easy ease over there, like, hey, you got me. Man. What do you do when you wake up and you find yourself disappointed? Because God didn't do what you know he could have done. God didn't bring your husband back. God didn't heal your child. God didn't give you the raise you wanted. God didn't give you the job that you thought was perfect for you. You prayed for that child of yours who was strung out with hurts, habits, and hang-ups for years, and God never seemed to heal him. What do you do? Look at her. Man, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up. And she went to pray. Here's what she did. This is hard. I, 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 sometimes I say stuff to shock you, 
I'm not saying this to shock you. What she did sucks. Because it goes against everything in our human nature. She got up and she went to pray. She continued to believe God was God. Sure, she vented to him. Sure, she took it out on him. Sure, she questioned him. Sure, she argued with him. But at the end of the day, she still knew he was God. I run to people like, that's a God. I believe God until something didn't go right. That's a God. No, no, he's still God. And he's working in ways that you'll never know. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for the good of those who love him. You might not understand it, but God has a plan. I don't know why God took your child at a young age. I don't know. But I know God has a plan. I don't know why God ended your marriage. I don't know why. I don't know why God let that loved one of yours get that terminal. I don't know why. But I know God's good. And Hannah went and she began to pray. And Eli the priest was sitting at the customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. And Hannah was in deep anguish, crying. Look how she was crying. She was crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, she, let me break that down for you in the original language. She was arguing with God. She was mad at God. She was fussing with God. She was having a grudge against God. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> oh, I've, I've been there. From the depths of her heart, she begins to cry out to God. I don't know what she said. Maybe she said, God, this isn't fair. God, why didn't you? Why aren't you? Why did you give a baby to her and not me? Why didn't you give it to me? I've been faithful, God. God, I've loved you. I've trusted you. God, I've been faithful. I trust in your goodness. Why haven't you done this for me? Here's what I know in her anger. She poured out her heart to God. And that's okay. I did a funeral a couple of years ago. The preacher got up and we're both preaching. And I try to, like, I try to never embarrass another pastor. Like, I, I never want to dishonor that role. If I don't agree with the man, if I don't believe his theology, if I think he's wrong, I always try to honor the office. And this man got up, and he was screaming and hollering. He was one of them preachers. I, I can't even do it. Like, I tried to learn how to do it. Have you ever been those preachers and they, and they breathe between every word? Like, I can't even do it to, if you've never seen it. Like, they scream and I get between every word. They're breathing. They think they're going to have a heart attack. And he was screaming and sweating. And he said, don't you cry. I'm thinking, they just lost their son. And you don't have a right to get mad at God. He's screaming. I'm sitting back there and, man, I'm rubbing my head. And I can see there's no peace in the crowd. If you're out there crying, you don't have faith. He's in heaven. And I believe he's in heaven, and that's awesome. And I got up there, and I looked at that family, and I literally delivered. He went on for like 40 minutes. Nobody wanted to hear me. And I got up. I looked at that family and said, I'm so sorry for your hurt. And I said, you cry all you want to cry. And I said, guess what? We serve a big God. And man, I, I, I should never do this. I, and like, 
I, I literally, if I ever run to this guy again, I'll apologize to him. But I, I, I just got my emotions got him. I said, and I said, this guy's an idiot. And I said, you have every right to question God. You have every right to be angry at God. You have every right to ask God why. I said, you don't have a right to turn your back on God because he's still God. I said, but he's a big God, and he can take your questioning and question away. And I walked off the stage. God's big enough to handle your hurt. Your marriage falls apart, and you don't think you're allowed to ask God why? Your child goes into rebellion, and you don't think you're allowed to ask God why? What a weak God we serve then. You lose everything that you and your husband have worked for because the economy crashes and you don't think you're allowed to get a little upset and question God? We serve a big God. A big God. He's big enough to handle her. David in the Old Testament said, God, why aren't you stopping my enemies? A man after God's own heart, he was questioning God. (laughs) Jesus on the cross cried out to God, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We serve a big God. It's okay in the midst of your hurt to get angry. It's okay. Just don't sin in your anger. It's okay to question God. It's okay to be disappointed. But at the end of the day, you've got to realize he's God and he knows best. God loves you. God loves us. God loves me. God understands your pain. I believe with all my heart, he welcomes your questions. What kind of father wouldn't welcome questions? Not a loving father. He's big enough to handle your doubts. I I, I believe with everything that is in me, and this is my opinion, so let me make that clear. I don't want to draw my line theologically in the sand. I, I believe God would rather you yell at him with your disappointment than to walk around in your hurt. Take your pain to God. He says, cast all your cares upon him. It's okay to go to God. If you ever find yourself disappointed, hurt, disillusioned, God's big enough to understand your pain. Hannah unloaded on God. She said, I don't understand. Then in her prayer, she cries out to God. She says, if you give me a son... I'll give him back to you. If you give me a son, he'll not be mine. I will dedicate every ounce of his life to you. I will give him to you. And then in this scripture, I don't have time to get through it. If you want to go read the next couple verses, it's a great study for this week. There becomes an interesting dialogue between her and Eli the priest. Like I said, I won't go into detail. But at the end of the conversation, the priest looks at her and says, this is all he says. He doesn't elaborate. He looks at her and says, may God... Grant your request. Years after years, she went to that temple. Years after years, she dealt with that pain. And the priest just looks at her and says, May God grant your request. The heavens don't open up. A light doesn't come down. There's no immediate change. She walks away, still with nothing tangible. She still has to deal with OP running her mouth all the way back home. Her husband's still going to say stupid things because he's a dude. She still has no baby. She's got no real sign. (laughs) But she continues on. Don't miss this. 
she continues on by faith. It's easy to have faith when everything's going good. It's not really faith. It's easy to have faith to take those steps when you can see the end. It's different when you've got to take the second step just to see the third step. You've got to take the third step before you can see the fourth step. She cried out to God, and by faith she kept going on. She continues her best to hold on to God. She's trusting. She sees nothing. 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 The Bible says after this encounter, verse nine, or down after their dialogue, around verse 19, the entire family got up early in the next morning and went to worship once more. She's wept bitterly with God. The preacher said, may God grant your request. Nothing's happened. Yet she got up the next day and she trusted God. Sometimes, this sounds real AA-ish, but sometimes you just got to take it day by day. Today, I'm going to trust God knows best. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. But by faith, I'm going to get through today. Then I'm going to deal with tomorrow, tomorrow when I get up. It's such an incredible, the entire family, check it out. Guess who else got up with her? The other woman. And the husband who says stupid things. They got up together and they worshiped the Lord. Still seeing nothing. She was faithful. There's things I've got angry with God about. There's things I get angry with God about. But I've learned in the midst of my anger, in the midst of my not understanding, to keep on. To keep on trusting. I know you can, God. Why haven't you, God? It's not fair, God. (laughs) But why not? Every day she got up. No, oh, by the way, as the end of the story comes, you'll see that God gave her a child. But let me make this clear. God might not answer your request. She got up every day anyway. The priest did not tell her to keep on for five more years and then God would give her a child. He said, may God grant your request. He didn't say God was going to grant your request. He said, I'm going to join on behalf of you in praying that God grants your request. And she got up every day and was faithful. She went into that waiting season. You know what I've learned about the waiting season? A waiting season is not a wasted season. We're forged in the fire of the waiting. So many of you could look back on the worst time in your marriage. That worst time in your marriage made the best times in your marriage today. It sucked at the time. It was horrible. I can look back at some of the lowest points in my life financially where I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep the lights on in my house. And it was in those periods my faith was built as God delivered over and over and over. Now when stuff comes along, when I, when I find out there's probably not enough money to pay rent to church, everyone else gets stressed. I'm like, hey, guess what? That's God's problem. You know how I pray to God now with those situations? Hey, God! People are hurting financially. Rent ain't going to get paid. Hey, God, we both going to look real stupid if the doors get closed. 
You know what's amazing about God? He's an on-time, all-the-time God. It always works out. But I got to that point today because I lost everything 13 years ago. didn't have two pennies to rub together and saw God work it out over and over and over and over and over and over. I can enjoy the... Sometimes you got to have war to enjoy peace. Sometimes you take the good times for granted because you've never been through bad times. A waiting season isn't a wasted season. What's God trying to teach you in that season? Just because you don't see it doesn't mean God's not working, that His Spirit's not working. God hears the cries of your heart, and it's okay. In Hannah's case, God heard the cries of her heart and gave her the desires of her heart. It may happen in your life, and it may not. No matter what the outcome is, no matter what the outcome is, the goodness of God is not based on what we see or don't see. He's still God. If he's only God when it's good, he's not much of a God. When my marriage fell apart, I walked away from God. Oh, okay, but he was God when your marriage was good? I worshiped, I was faithful to serve God, and I lost everything. So he's only God when it was good? He's more God when it's bad. There's times I've been so low, I have nothing I can do but fall on my face before God. It's in those times. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. And they returned home. When O Easy E slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, one of the most mighty prophets ever. And she said, I asked the Lord for him. Don't miss this. Some of you are upset with God right now because he's delaying. Don't always, God's delays are not always God's denials. Sometimes God's delays are God's denials because he knows the destiny he has for you. And what you think you need or what you want is not the destiny God has for you, and he wants the best for you. Because just because you don't see it in the moment doesn't mean it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's okay to be mad with God. It's okay to have a grudge. So what do we do in those situations? I'm not even going to elaborate. I'm going to give them to you real quick, and we're going to go home. We're going to vent to God. We talked about that. Don't hold that frustration in. Everybody knows one of my favorite movies of all time is The Apostle. Everybody seen The Apostle? Well, Robert Duvall, anybody seen it? If you've not seen The Apostle, you need to go rent The Apostle on Amazon for $3.99. It's that good. He's an apostle. Hence why it's called The Apostle. His wife cheats on him. He walks onto the baseball field, hits the dude that she's cheating with in the head with a baseball bat. My kind of apostle. He didn't realize he's going to go to jail. So he goes on the run. There's a scene, though, he's upstairs in his mom's house, and he's screaming with God. And I love it. He goes, I, you're, I, I should have showed this clip. He said, I call you God, and you call me Sonny. I call you God, and you, he goes, and I'm angry right now. God. And the neighbor calls. The mom answers the phone. What's Sonny doing upstairs? He's keeping me awake. Because he was so loud. And she says, sometimes he talks to God. Sometimes he fights with God. Tonight he's fighting with God. Hangs up the phone. Bent to God. 
He's a big God. He can take it. Keep worshiping. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Just because it's not going the way you think it ought to go doesn't mean God's not doing something great. You be faithful to God. Learn in the waiting period. Man, some of the greatest lessons in life are learned in the waiting period. It's in the waiting period that God's prepping you for the delivering period. Continue believing. Don't give up. Hannah never gave up. She kept trusting And then last of all, we're done. Trust God no matter what. You know why you need to trust God no matter what? (laughs) Because he's God. And you're not. I want to do a series around here called, really because I'm lazy and I want to break from preaching. But I want to do a series called Stories. And I just want to bring different people up here and let them share their story. Because, man, there's some powerful stories in this group. And almost every one of the stories involves some dark days. But it never stays dark forever. There's no beauty like the sunrise. Get it, you're going through a tough time right now. You're angry with God. Welcome to the club. You don't get a special reward for that. But in your anger, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. There's no sin in being angry. The sin becomes in how you handle your anger. Vent to God. He's a big God. Keep worshiping. Learn in the waiting period. Continue believing. And trust God no matter what. And that's how, for lack of a better word, we forgive God. Let's pray.